Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everyone, welcome to another Hawks Insiders podcast. We are running through our end of season player review pods. Um, You may or may not have heard of some of the other ones we've done in this series. It's a very exciting series. It's a very um, enjoyable series for us at the Hawks Insiders to be able to go through and rate and review um, these players after a season's worth of information, a season's worth of data. Um, and yeah, I'm Danny Prins. I'm your host this evening. Very excited to be joined by the one and only Darren Levine. Darren, how are you going? Good. Great to be here. It's um, always good to talk about the Hawks in the off season, a lot better than talking about other teams playing finals. That's for sure. Yeah, but what we will say is uh, we're recording this one in the lead up to the prelim final week and, uh, you know, halfway through the season, um, two of the prelim final teams were sitting just above the Hawks. So maybe there's some uh, hope on the horizon for us uh, in the not too distant future, Daz. I hope so, but uh, one of the prelim prelim final teams, um, Carlton absolutely flogged us, so... We got pretty close against GWS, so there, we did. there is reason for optimism for sure. I think you know, with the Giants, I think it's a it's amazing to to see, you know, exactly what a good coach can do, right? Like I think they were just absolutely wasted under Leon Cameron and um, Adam Kingsley's come in and just changed the whole culture and brand. And um, you know, I think when you when you lock into a good coach like we have with Sammy Mitchell, I think, you know, you build a list around and you just watch them flourish. And I'm I'm really excited to see that level of development with our young Hawks. Now we are going to rate another five, rate and review another five Hawthorne players this podcast. Um we are I'll give you a brief rundown on how we're going to do it. We're going to run through their season stats, have a brief discussion there. Uh we're going to give some opinions on the individual player season, um, touch on some key areas of strength and a few areas for improvement, and then um, sort of look at uh, crystal balling a little bit, some of the expectations for that individual player in 2024. So we, this evening, are going to start with Cam McKenzie, uh, the Hawks' top draft pick from last offseason. Came in in his first season, a bit of a mixed season. He played 14 matches overall. A number of them were a sub. Uh, he averaged 13.3 disposals, uh, which is above average for um, people in his category. Uh, 6.1 kicks, 7.1 handballs, um, 1.9 marks, 2.6 tackles, uh, 0.2 goals, and um, really sort of spent the season understanding what's required of him at AFL level. Um, really sort of took his time to adjust to the speed of uh, of the game and the ferocity in the contest uh, and what that looked like for him was very interesting, I think, and we'll touch on that a little bit. Daz, before we get into sort of what 
his season looked like? What were your initial thoughts of of you know Cam's debut season in the brown and gold? Yeah, well, I'm going to quote the great Will Day here um, when he said in 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 a recent pod uh, with uh, I think Weesey and uh, and Ash, um, there were glimpses that we can all tell he's going to be a star. So that is exactly my summation of Cam's first season in the brown and gold. Um, you know, 14 games is pr- pretty good first year. Um, I think he may have snuck a rousing, rising star uh, nomination just based on the body of work, one of those late season body of work rising star noms. But, you know, it it was he was in and out of the side sort of towards the end. And um, I think it, 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 it wasn't a, a season where he set the world on fire like Harry Sheasel or Ashcroft, but there are glimpses and there's more than glimpses that he's going to be an absolute star for us. He used the footy really well. Um, time, one of those plays where time does seem to sort of slow down, oozes class, got on the scoreboard a, few, a couple, I think three times. Um, so I, I was really impressed with his first season and, and definite belief that he's going to be a massive part of this midfield unit, especially with the preseason under his belt. And that was something Will Day spoke about as well. Um, you know, our preseason is going to allow him to add that burst of speed that I think he, he's got inside him that uh, the fitness staff are going to work on in the off-season to, to get that going. And I think next year, look out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I th- just to echo what you're, what you're saying there, Daz, you know, there were real glimpses. And I think if we think back to McKenzie's debut game in a really disappointing game against the Bombers, um, he was a bit of a, sh- a, a shining light. He had his eight, 18 touches and 13 of them were kicks. And there was just that, those a few signs, you know, of that. Here's this really beautiful ability to sort of pull a kick and wait really nicely to drop into the right space. Um, I don't know if he is, well, we haven't really seen it too much yet where he's that really long penetrating break the lines kick. But I have a feeling if you give uh, Cam McKenzie three years, he will be the player that our forwards want to lead to, because I think he has the, uh, he has beautiful touch on his kick. He really knows how to caress it into space. And um, there were a couple of games, you know, playing the first six games uh, of of your first AFL seasons, a fair effort. I thought round three against North Melbourne and round 10 against West Coast, which is um, probably uh, not just a coincidence that, you know, his best games were against the the worst teams in the competition. I think that's when you know, you know, in your first season, um, playing in the midfield, he liked to come up against more your peers and he was able to do that against those two, two teams. But, you know, 20 disposals uh, and three marks along with nine tackles um, against North Melbourne was a fantastic game. And then uh, 22 disposals, uh, three marks, five tackles and two goals against West Coast was probably clearly his his best game, I think, of the season. Um what were some of the sort of takeaways that you that you picked up from from Cam throughout the year? Is there any particular game that stood out to you, Daz? Yeah, I think definitely the the West Coast game when he when he got on the scoreboard a couple of times. Um, you know, I loved his debut goal against the Demons. Um, it was that just shows the the poise that you were talking about, Danny, in terms of 
taking his opportunity and, and just time slowing down and, and pulling the kick and um, not rushing it. And I, I think he had a couple set shots um, to nail that first goal that, it, that he missed. And I think nerves sort of got to him, but he took that snap against the Demons beautifully. And um, yeah, I think I think he's spot on there in terms of his best games against North and, and West Coast. And that's just a glimpse of, of of what he's capable of when he does go through the middle. But I think you're going to see him playing these sort of high half forward uh, sort of roles on the wing, maybe off half back until he's got the tank and the body to to be playing in the guts. And I think that'll probably happen um, over the next you know couple of years. Absolutely. I think also um, there was some serious development that occurred with Cam at Box Hill as well, playing playing some VFL games and being able to play predominantly midfield minutes when he did that. Um, as you touched on, Daz, I think there's going to be a need for him to fill in in positions in the next couple of years, whether that's half forward, whether that's half back, um, even potentially on a wing. Um you know, if that running capacity gets there, but um, to be able to go and play full games in the midfield, starting in the center bounce um, will really help him as well. And even though I know we have a lot of fans that are saying, well, why didn't he play 20 games? Why did he only play 14? There's some real benefit there to being able to play in your preferred position um, and get some reps as well as getting the AFL reps um, in various positions that fit in and fill a team need um, as he was, as he had to do uh, this year does. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think you, you, you compare it to, to say Sheasel who, you know, won a lot of footy just off half back and, and that's awesome. And, you know, it's not, not a slide on his season, which was terrific. But yeah, you're right. Cam was playing in his natural position. He was getting some time through the middle. He wasn't just grabbing cheap possessions off half back. And Sam Mitchell could have just put him there all season, really. And he would have shown poise and he would have shown class there. But playing him through the guts at Box Hill, and he had some terrific games at Box Hill. Games where he you could just tell he was a he was a cut above and a level above, just despite his sort of slight build. Um, against some of these hardened uh, VFL bodies, so yeah, I think I think the coaching staff played played it perfectly with Cam, um, and it's going to do his de- overall development a world of good instead of just getting getting him on the park and getting some cheap possessions down half back. Absolutely, I think the uh, Harry Sheasel comp is a really interesting one, actually, and I, I hadn't really thought about it. Now, let's make no mistake about it. There's probably levels of talent between um, Harry Sheasel and Cam McKenzie, uh, and that's no slight on Cam McKenzie. Harry Sheasel's had a debut season for the ages. He's gone and won North Melbourne's best and fairest in his first year. The the um, rising star. In, in his first year, obviously, and played predominantly, I think, pretty much every game. Um, but like you said, was able to step into a team and be one of their best players playing in a role which allowed him to use his strengths, um, but also gave him a bit more freedom to be able to express himself. Um, Mitchell gave no cheap or easy ride to Cam McKenzie this year. He really made him earn every kick. He really made him earn every start. So I think that um, they're very different in the way that they were introduced to AFL football. And it'd be really interesting to see um, if from uh, not having to catch Harry Sheasel, but if there's a, a, 
a closing of the gap, you know, in a really quick way um, because of the way that the Hawks development team sort of um, worked with Cam McKenzie over the course of this year. Daz, I want to hear from you before we move on. Um, any areas for improvement for Cam for um, heading into his second season and what are your expectations for Cam in uh, 2024? Yeah, look, I think... Um... You know, Will, Will Day really said it best when, when we caught up with him just in terms of developing that sort of burst of speed. At times he looked a bit sort of uh, one-dimensional in the way that he was he was moving. And when he when he can burst out of packs and, and burst out, out of traffic, I think that's when you're gonna see the best of Cam. And you know, that's a that's a that's uh only comes with getting a few preseasons under under your belt. So there's no concerns for me. I think that first season was exactly on track. Um, there's obviously things he can work on, um, but but I think in terms of his development, um, he he's right on track. And next year's next year's going to be a year, uh, interesting year for him. I think there's going to be probably more expectations as a second a second year player, um, but I think he'll he'll work his way into into the best twenty two by the end of the year, and I think that's got to be the goal. Absolutely. Moving on now so that we don't have this podcast go an hour, uh, heading to Finn McGuinness, Daz, who I think is a really interesting case study for these player reviews because um, he he can be slightly polarizing uh, for supporters. Um, Finn had a bit of a late season renaissance um, under Sam Mitchell. And I think he did the same thing in 2022 where he started the season sort of in and out of the, of the team and then finished it sort of as an almost undroppable player. Well, this year for the Hawks, Finn played uh, 13 games. He played the first four and then he didn't play until round 16. Um, and I think if you sort of had a conversation with most Hawks fans at around round 12, there was this sort of expectation that this could be it for um for Finn McGuinness in terms of his AFL career. He was kind of languishing at, at at Box Hill and was playing a little bit off half back. Daz, he was playing a little bit in the midfield, uh, playing bit part roles. They were trying to find a niche for him, and then they went back to what is one wood is, which is stopping other players from getting the footy. Um, he's good, physical, tough in the contest. Uh, he's able to, um, you know, work his player over in a really impressive non, um, I guess, you know, annoying way. He just has this um, ability. Well, it's probably annoying for the player that doesn't get to touch the footy for most of the game, but uh, he has this real ability to just go about his job and be a no fuss, no frills kind of player. Um, what was your... Um, before we jump into the stats, uh, what was your initial takeaways from from Finzia? Yeah, I think the word you were looking for is pest. He's not. He's not a pest. He's not a pest. That is a good and, word. Yeah. And and I think it's funny because after the um the Nick job he did on Nick on uh, Nick Dacos, a lot of Collingwood supporters were, you know, questioning some of the tactics. That was one of the the most pure t uh, tagging roles you could ever see a player play and. And and it was just down to beating Nick Dacos athletically, putting the work in to know where he was going to be and just shadowing him the entire game. There was no niggle. There was no dirty tactics. And that's just the way Finn goes about it. So, you know, 
in in one on one level, you know, being in and out of the side was not great. But the way he ended that year, earning that two year contract extension, just single handedly bringing the tagger back and having people like Kane Corns, um, you know, abs- absolutely uh, fate his achievements. And uh, look, I think I think he's he's also the the sort of heart and soul of the club in a lot of ways, uh, being a father son the romance around Finn um, and his love for the club. And there's some great vision from preseason where he's just giving the players a bit of a spray for, for not doing enough to protect each other. And, you know, I, th- I think he's, he's, a, he's becoming a leader in that team and in that young team. Um, he bleeds brown and gold and I'm just wrapped for him that he ended the year the way that he did. Yeah. You're spot on. I think the the thing that I want to touch on before we jump into the stats is that that leadership aspect that you talked about, um, Daz, because you can be a leader in so many different ways. And and Finn clearly, you know, has given sprays and stuff that, uh, through preseason, as you said, but also he leads through uh, example in terms of there are not many people that have the discipline and the willpower to be able to perform the role, the tagging role. And then a step further, there are so few people that are able to do it with the level of quality and sustained pressure and accountability that Finn has been able to show time and time again against some of the best players in the competition. So uh, kudos to him for being able to invent himself or reinvent himself as um, a tagger in a world effectively where there were, where taggers weren't even a thing. So I think that's really impressive. Um, just going through his stats and we need to keep in mind that um, sort of Finn stats aren't as relevant uh, as maybe other players stats would be through these uh, ratings. So I'll fly through them. He averaged uh, 10.3 disposals a game, uh, five kicks, five handballs, three and a bit marks, two tackles, which is, I think is really interesting and something we might touch on Daz. Um, uh, 0.3 clearances. Uh, His best game obviously in terms of his impact was the Collingwood game uh, against Nick Dacos, where he only had six disposals. I think Dacos had six or seven, something like that. Um, And just completely got the, the AFL footy media um, uh, talking. They were, they were a buzz about, uh, about Finn and his exploits. And uh, as you said, some of our opposition supporters were trying to find anything that they could, um, which, uh, which sort of spoke to uh, unfair tactics, but it just wasn't there. But was there anything else from your perspective, Daz? Was there another game other than the Nick Dacos game where you were just like, wow, like this, this guy is, is uh, really on, on song here. Oh, I think definitely the job that he did on Josh Kelly um, hasn't hasn't got as much uh, headlines as the Nick Dacos role, but you know Kelly had a, l- a very very limited impact and we almost rolled the Giants that game as well. We only I think lost by thirteen points or so. And then yep. obviously the job that he did on Clary and um, Goodwin's post game comments. I think when an opposition coach is making those sorts of comments, it just shows what kind of a job that he did and. You know, yes, it was a negating role, but I think he got more touches on the day than than Clayton Oliver. So um, ultimately, he did his job perfectly on the on, on those two occasions and through other games as well. There, there are other there are other games. I, I can't even remember him being 
beaten uh, or or having his colored lowers lowered by his direct opponent. I don't think it happened this year. No, I think that's a um, the mark of a phenomenal tagger is because most taggers um, will have sort of like a nemesis who just sort of gets a hold of him. Um, we haven't found that for Finn yet. So it'll be really interesting to see as his career progresses uh, what these gun opposition players do in order to be able to avoid him because it's not a natural tagging role that he starts with. He often starts outside the square, even if he's tagging um, somebody like a Clayton Oliver who starts inside the square. Uh, so understanding, I guess, the support that comes from the other um, Hawthorne midfielders to stop that player from getting a touch before Finn can get to him. And also, you know, what that players, those players need to do, whether it's Oliver or Dacos or whoever, Kelly, um, what they need to do in order to be able to sort of get away from Finn, because once he's with them at a stoppage uh, in open play, wherever uh, it's, it's incredibly hard for them to touch the footy. And um, he seems to do it without laying copious amounts of tackles. And that's what I wanted to reflect or touch on the stats a little bit. There does averaging two tackles a game. You would have expected that to be a bit higher, but really he does it just by stopping them from even being able to get to the footy. Right. So um, what do you think? Obviously, other than, you know, the whole encompassing sort of word of tagging, what has been Finn's uh, strengths uh, in 2023? I think it's just that. I think it's just staying in the game and staying with – and never losing focus through four quarters. There's a lot of a lot of talk around the Hawks this year, around a lot of inconsistent footy through the year. And I think Finn is one of the players in our team that actually will stay focused on his task for, for four quarters. Um, so that level of consistency through games is, I think, something that was unparalleled by a lot of his teammates um, this year. And that comes down to his uh, meticulous preparation, his athletic ability. And I think he's a standard setter uh, for this club, does does a lot more than than just tag. I think he's st- setting standards in training and he's setting standards professionally. Sure is. Now, I want to ask you, Daz, before we move on to the next player, um, Finn is now 22 years old. He uh, obviously has that tagging role down pat. What do we need to see from him to take his game to the next level? And do you think it there comes a point in time where we say, well, this is who he is and we just need to accept that? Or do we always want to have more from him in terms of the improvement of his field kicking or you know, quickness of his decision-making, uh, so on and so forth? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a good question because when he has the footy, I don't think he is a damaging player with it. Um, it's a kind of heart-and-mouth moment a bit when Finn has the ball and I think he's cleaned up his disposal a little bit, but... Can I see him being a ball-winning mid who uses the footy beautifully? Probably not ever going to be that player. Um, and I think we've seen enough of a body of work to suggest that. Um, you know, he's still 22. There's still a lot of upside. And he has played a lot of the roles, as you touched on, through the year at Box Hill and um, and even in the senior side. But, you know, the value of him being that negating player and he only needs to play 15 games a year or some key games a year to, to, to really show that value. And, you know, we don't win that Collingwood game if he's not taking Nick Dacos out of it. So, 
you know, we don't we don't get close to GWS if he's not taking Josh Kelly out. We don't get close to Melbourne if he's not taking Clary out. So um, I think the tagging role is actually part of the way Sam Mitchell wants to play. Maybe that'll change over the and develop over the next few years as he gets more top-tier talent in. But for now, I'm happy with Finn playing that role for as long as we need him to. Uh, final word on Finn before we move on to Lloyd Meek. Uh, what are your expectations, Daz, for Finn for 2024? Ooh, I think um, I'd love I'd love to say become more of a complete player, more of a complete midfielder, and you know a, a sort of two way one runner maybe on the wing because his defensive game is is so great, and and maybe he does have it in him to develop those offensive traits, but I think keep doing what you're doing um, and keep impacting games and playing your role, I think is really what we can expect of, of Finn next year. And I don't, I don't want to put too many expectations beyond that on him. I don't know what you feel, Danny. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said. I think we've got to understand more than most players in on the Hawthorne list, because this is a young developing list, like expectations for say, Luke Bruce is going to be much of the same, right? From um, this year to next year, expectations for James Sicily to, you know, continue to um, evolve as a leader and, you know, same output. I think the only, the only other player in that younger group of players whose expectation maybe needs to just be tempered is Finn McGuinness, because we know what he does. He's absolutely a leader as at, and some of these other areas, he has some serious limitations, but that's okay because of the role that he plays within the group. Now, uh, Lloyd Meek, uh, number 17 at the Hawks, um, came over from Fremantle in the trade period last year as part of the Jager O'Meara deal or Jaeger O'Meara deal, if you're Brad Klebanski. Um, and probably came here thinking I've been stuck behind Sean Darcy. Uh, I'm going to come over to the Hawks and um, compete and probably be first ruck. I think most of us at the Hawks insiders and probably a lot of Hawthorne um, people in general had Lloyd Meek sort of edge edging ahead of Ned Reeves early in the season or even in preseason as Hawthorne's preferred number one ruck. And it kind of played out sort of awkwardly and a little bit differently to what I expected um, personally. Um, in saying that, Meek played a, a total of 16 matches this season. And for a 25-year-old who had previously played 15 matches in his career, uh, a 16-match season is is a phenomenal effort. So um, he will be, I would suggest he'd be fairly reasonably happy with his season at, as, a, as a whole. Um, but would be looking to to build on that and really challenge Ned Reeves as the number one ruck in, in 2024. Um, Meek averaged 9.6 disposals, 2.9 kicks, 6.8 handballs, 2.1 clearances, 18 hitouts, uh, 5.3 hitouts to advantage. And uh, as, yeah, as I mentioned, did that across 16 games. He hit the scoreboard three times. Uh, and managed to play in five of the Hawks' wins. So um, all in all, was there or thereabouts when the whips were cracking. Does your initial take on Lloyd Meek's season and 
you know, the position he finds himself in now. Yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag season for Lloyd. And I think we had really high expectations. And um, I think there was a lot of excitement around him coming in and challenging Ned or even being a, a, a sort of yin and yang ruck combination with Ned's extreme height and Meek's ability to to take contested marks and and impact across the ground. So it, it's interesting because I think Melbourne went into the year two with a dual ruck, that, with visions of a, a dual ruck combo, um, and it kind of never worked for anyone this year. Um, I think most most teams are uh, most most effective when they have one main man in the ruck and and someone pinch hitting and. You know, the Hawks are no exception. And by the end, it was Reeves who was clearly in front as our number one ruck. And um, it's going to be hard to unseat Reeves next year, I think. And barring injuries, I think um, it's really his position to lose, especially the way that he played out the last kind of few rounds. So it's going to be an interesting season for, for Lloyd Meek. I'm, 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 I don't know how it's going to play out for him. I think in terms of his physical attributes, I got a close look at him at Box Hill, just walking around the grounds, and he's an absolute beast of a human. Like he's he's got tree trunk legs. He's he's enormous. Um, but there's you know there's there's players that are enormous that don't really throw their body around the way that they should. And I I think there were glimpses of that bullocking Ruckman that we all thought we were getting, but then other times where he would just drift out of games and and not really impact them. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting that he played one more game than his entire career at Frio. Um, but I think that was just a reflection of us just not really getting the ruck, the ruck combination right. Yeah, I think that you've absolutely nailed that summation, I think. Um, I think if we asked make before the season what his expectations were and then after the season if he married or he met those expectations I would have thought he would have said no um and in in no um I'm not saying it's all his fault I think like you mentioned we he was asked to basically be a second tall forward for large parts of the season who would come and chop out in the ruck when um, Ned Reeves needed a breather. And, um, and that's, that's not, that's not who he is. That's not who he is at VFL level. That's not who he is at AFL level. Um, when he did play one out as a ruckman, he had some really, really good games. Um, a couple of his sort of better games, he had 18 disposals, uh, five tackles and um, 31 hitouts against West Coast, obviously playing against some pretty ordinary ruckmen there. Um, but he also had 10 disposals and 46 hitouts uh, against the Saints in round 20. And, um, you know, that was against Rowan Marshall, uh, who is a genuine, like, top-line ruckman. He'd be winning the top half-dozen rucks in the league. So, um, you know, there's clearly the ability to uh, perform at that level. I think the consistency of effort and application is something that Meek struggled with. I think, like you said, bringing that intensity on a consistent basis uh, was something that we may not have seen uh, as much as we would have liked to. And and with Reeves' ability to um, kick the Hawks off in a really positive way at centre bounces and at, and at ruck contests in general, Meek has to find his 
point of difference to be able to make an impact around the ground. And I think he's got a, the ability to find far more of the football than Ned Reeves does. And I think he's far more effective with the football than Ned Reeves is. But you would want him, I think, does as a as a ruckman to be getting between fifteen to twenty disposals a game, um, if he's going to have as much sort of around the ground impact to to cancel out the lack of impact he has in the ruck contests. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I wondered, Danny, if it's going to be a case of um, like a horses for courses approach, maybe next year in, in the ruck, where Meek would go up against some of the the bigger bodies like like a Darcy, for example, and then you'd bring in Reeves um to 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 sort of play against more sort of similar um similar built Ruckman. Um I wonder if that's that's the 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 I mean it it felt like at, at different points through this year when they were go, both going in and out of the side. So I wonder if that's going to be the strategy for the Rucks next year again for Sam Mitchell where it's just a horses for courses approach. Um, but I think definitely the way that Ned Reeves play out, played out the last few rounds of the season, it looks like it's his number one rock spot to lose. Um, one game that I did want to talk about was his game against Melbourne where he went up against both Gorn and Brady Grundy and um, had the most hit outs on the ground and equal tied for the most hit outs to advantage. So he's definitely got the tools to be a top ruckman. It's just, as you said, that level of intensity and consistency that he needs to bring to to take that spot off Reeves because at the end of the day I think there's only room for one ruck um on on, on the team sheet yeah I, I absolutely agree and I think because um too many of their skills overlap we we talk about rucks we talk in very general terms um there are there are different types of ruckmen aren't there and and what made the the really the three Pete Hawthorne team really really good was that um you know their ruckmen or chop out Ruckman was often David Hale, who was um, a very good forward in and of his own right, uh, was able to kick goals on a consistent basis, take um, really strong contested marks on a consistent basis and worry his defender or at least keep his defender accountable. Um, the issue we have with, say, somebody like Meek when he's playing forward um you know, he took 36 marks across 16 games this year. So that's just not enough. It's just more than, it's only marginally more than two a game, you know. So he, both he and Reeves, whoever's going to play uh, predominantly as the number one ruckman in this team, needs to be able to clunk them like McAvoy did or Hale did, but also needs to be able to develop that string to his bow. And it leads us into sort of areas of improvement and expectations for next year. Meek should absolutely go into, well, this is my opinion. I want to hear yours in a minute, Does Meek should absolutely go into preseason attacking it like that ruck position is his, the number one ruck position is his. Reality might be slightly different, but he needs to hit it like I I am the man and I am going to get it done, but what am I going to do to set myself apart from Ned Reeves and keep him out of the side? And if we... I know it's VFL and I know it was against Frankston, but the final um, season game that Meek played against Frankston, which actually got him back into the team for the Fremantle game um, at, at AFL level, I think I think Meek had something like 25 disposals, 35 hitouts, kicked a couple of goals and was just everywhere. And that's the sort of thing that you'd want to be seeing from him at AFL level if he was to usurp um, Reeves for the number one ruck role. 
Yeah, exactly. And it is going to take that sort of well-rounded performance. I'm wondering if he's sort of carrying a bit too much bulk going into next year. He's he's at 109 kilos, an absolute beast of a man. That's a big um, boy. And as, pu- as pure muscle, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, is that impeding his athletic ability or his ability to to sort of get around the ground and to and to compete athletically with some of the with some of them you know the more athletic rocks in the league and when you look at the rocks that are dominating it's sort of those guys that can actually you know can actually um work work around the ground and um, almost play as another midfielder that's it exactly. So yeah. I wonder if he is maybe carrying a bit too much bulk, and 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 maybe Peter Burge and the fitness staff will look into that and making him into that sort of David Hale esque um, player. Look, I think he's got a completely different physique to David Hale, but yeah, sort of more more of that sort of forward ruck that can nicely complement um, Reeves in the middle if they were to go down the two ruck path. And I hope that they do not just quietly between you and I because <laughs> that was just a like you know that's the definition of insanity we just kept doing the same thing and expecting a different result and we just kept not getting a different result so um moving right along Seamus Mitchell I'm really excited to uh, break down Seamus Mitchell's season with you Daz um 14 matches this year which uh equals all of his career games as well. Um, you know, being delisted at the end of last year, re-rookied, um, having little to no expectations of playing senior footy early in the season and yet um, getting in much earlier than even the Hawks. Uh, I think the Hawks people would have anticipated. Definitely Ed Sill anticipate much earlier than Ed uh, anticipated in our chat with him in preseason. Um he debuted uh, at, at gather round in round five against the Giants and looked composed from the outset. Um, Mitchell averaged 16.6 disposals uh, per game, 9.4 kicks, 7.3 handballs, 4.7 marks, uh, just under two tackles, um, and about 265 metres gained for the season. What were your initial takeaways of Seamus Mitchell's um year and i guess his you know first foray into afl footy well i have to give you a lot of credit first danny for for seeing what a lot of other people didn't see with seamus i i honestly thought he was he was a goner um just the injuries really took its toll he never never really shone or got an opportunity to shine at box hill um i i couldn't see how he was going to go through the season and end up um you know, in in the position that he that he had with a, with a new contracts and and a well deserved one, um, so it was a pleasant surprise, Seamus Mitchell, and I'm excited for him to slot back into that team. And there's going to be a lot of competition for places now off half back with CJ coming back into the fold, but Seamus's run and carry um, was a real highlight for me of, of some terrible games of footy as well where where we just couldn't get it going, but Seamus was a shining light. I think that the D's game is an, is another one where he had his arguably his best game, even better than the game where he got the rising star noms. So, I, think, I think you're spot on there. Yep. Mm. Yeah, um, that, that game against the D's, I actually thought that game against the D's, he was arguably our best player on the field. Um, 
27 disposals, eight marks, you know, use the ball uh, very well. And we got pumped by like, you know, 55 points. So um, yeah, that was a, that was a really impressive one. He was obviously nominated as you touched on Daz round 17 uh, against the giants in another loss. That one, the, the close loss, he had 20 disposals that day. Um, he had 24 against the Suns in a loss at round round 15. He had a, a really good patch from sort of round nine to to round 15, where he had almost over 20 disposals every single game, and was like you said, was really generating uh, a lot of speed and a lot of really good ball use off halfback and on the wing. And I think the thing that I, I like as much uh, the or the most about Seamus Mitchell is. Um, he knows he has really good foot skills and he knows he has um, electric pace and he wants to use them and he's been empowered to use them. And we chatted to him um, middle of the year and uh, had a conversation around um, his loss of confidence with his injuries and his delisting and how Andy Collins and the team really sort of said, Hey, listen, you are good enough at this level. You can do these things. You need to go and make sure that you are contributing through using your strengths and doubling down on that. Um, but I think what the what the most exciting part was if and Mora's our stats guru and our data analytics guru. Um, but I think the stats bear out that he actually was phenomenal in one-on-one contests as a small defender. Um, and if you look at Seamus Mitchell, you look at the way he plays, that's not what you would expect. Um, but I think he rarely lost one-on-one contests. Uh, and that's really, really exciting because if you have um, that as a sort of default where you can trust him to um, at least break even with his with his forward that he's playing on, uh, but then you can also use him going forward as a weapon then it makes him a really, really da- damaging and dangerous player. Absolutely. And I think that comes down to what you've been saying about him all year. He does have those elite AFL traits and he's got supreme agility. He's got a great vertical leap. He can actually, um, you know, beat a lot of the craftiest small forwards and you, you always feel like he's in with a shot um, in a one-on-one situation, which is interesting because he wasn't drafted as a defender. So he's 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 come a long way, and he's obviously um, absorbed everything that he's he's learned at, at VFL level, and from people like Andy Collins, um, who have crafted him into the player that he is um, of half back, and you know the run and carry, and the extremely high work work rate as well. There's so many um, moments when I think of Seamus Mitchell, I think of him taking a kick out. And then running, uh, you know, running past the player to to receive a hand pass going forward again. He's got a beautiful penetrating kick as well. So um, he's he's a real weapon off half back. And you know, he was drafted as a forward. So I wonder if they'd ever consider that that switch forward again in a, in a time where we probably are crying out for a small forward with with Brocky looking like he's off. But I think you know that where Sheamus is is is. Um, at his best is is off that half back and that 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 rebounding supremely fast defender. Definitely, and I, I like I I had thought about the move of Mitchell back to a half forward flank, um, but it's probably a bit too much of a risk to be playing with his career 
um, you know, in that after one sort of season where he's able to establish himself. But you are right. He has some of those uh, intangible skills and traits that um, that are appealing uh, in in a team that's sort of lacking a, some some of those um, some of those X factor type traits uh, going forward. So that'll be one to watch in the preseason. I think um, looking at rounding out the review for Seamus Mitchell, uh, what he needs to work on. If we look at his uh, back end of the year, he was a bit ill and injured late in the season. Um, but he sort of dropped down to um, having his only two games with under 10 disposals were his last two games at AFL level. Um, and I think that's probably a reflection of his body just wasn't used to playing X amount of games in a season. He was able to play 14 at AFL level um, and then games at VFL level as well. And I just think he ran out of tickets. Um, so, you know, his next big thing will be having a really good pre-season with no interruptions and building that tank so that, you know, like you talked about does, if we do have a, you know, a plethora of halfback flanks, we could use him off a wing or we can use him off half forward and use that running power and use the, the skills further up the ground to be even more impactful. Uh, is there anything else you think we need to see from Mitchell in terms of improvement? And then um, further on from that, what are you wanting to see from him in 2024? I think just, Keep going the way the, the the way that he 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 went on and with the attitude that he had this year. Obviously, you know the last couple of games. I think he was underdone. He probably probably shouldn't have played those games. If I'm being honest, so just focusing on being fit, um, having a having a amazing preseason and staying healthy um, and continuing to develop along along that path because it was a terrific, I guess, the first third year in a, in a way for Seamus. Um, and to get a rising star nom, that's got to give his confidence the world of good. And I think he feels like he he actually belongs at the level too. And I, I think those doubts would have would have definitely crept in um, early on. You, I know you spoke to him earlier in the year, and he kind of touched on that. So you know he's just got to he's got to play with that same level of confidence that he attacked our uh, twenty twenty three. Absolutely. That's a fantastic way to finish up with Seamus Mitchell. And we will finish this podcast, Daz, with one of the Hawks Insiders' absolute favorites and one of your personal favorites too, uh, our vice captain, Dylan Moore. So um, Moore came into this season off a career year in 2022. Uh, and really interestingly, at the start of the year, when we were rating and reviewing his season or his games, there was a lot of conversation that he was down uh, on form. If we go by pure stats, and I know pure stats aren't everything, but um, he actually was a he improved on all of his key stats except goal output per game in 2023, which I think is really interesting. So, as a small forward um, and sort of a high half forward. Played across 23 matches this year. He averaged 20.9 disposals. So 21 disposals up from 18. Uh, so that's a three disposal increase, which is elite for a small forward. 11 kicks up from 9.5. Uh, 9.8 handballs up from eight and a half. 4.7 marks, which is the same as the year before. Four tackles, which is half a tackle a game more than the year before. Um, 0.7 goals per game, which was down from one goal per game. And yeah, just overall, 
um, probably off the back of the strength of his second half of his season, really um, found his way, found his rhythm in terms of balancing leading people for the first time in an official capacity uh, and um, performing his own role and the needs of the role that he needed to perform for the team. Uh, what were your initial uh, takeaways on Dylan Moore's season and, and how it ended up? Yeah, I was surprised by those stats, to be honest, because I think if you were to ask any Hawthorne supporter whether Dylan Moore had a better year this year than the year before, no one would say yes. And I think statistically, it very clearly shows that he he betted last year, which you know, it was an elite year by by any measure. So I wonder if it's because he didn't hit the scoreboard as much or there were things that we just didn't see that that he was doing um, that we, you know, were, were, were ticking away in the stat sheet but, but maybe weren't looking as flash to the eye. So I, I think there were definitely games where he, he drifted out of games, especially at the start of the year. I think there was even talk in the WhatsApp and, some of the pods about maybe him needing to go back to Box Hill to get his head too right. Much talk of that, <laughs> there was, there was, but I, you know, I think, um, I think there were stages where he was overawed by the captaincy when he took yep. over from Sis, and I think he, he, he maybe was was trying too hard. I think that's the the thing with Dill. You know, we love the intensity and we love he, how he plays with his heart on his sleeve, but. There are times where he does seem to be trying too hard and that's that's not when he plays his best footy. Mm. Um, you know, we love the intensity. We love the passion, but um, you, you can't do everything in a game of footy. And I think when he's sticking to his role and he he's, he's not trying to win games off his own back, I think that's when we see the best of Dylan Moore. And it kind of seems counterintuitive to say that, but... I do think that when he relaxes into a game of footy and he concentrates on his role, that's when we see him at his best. Absolutely. And I think um, if we just have a look at um, more from a how does he impact the way we play when we play well perspective, um, from a from a scoring perspective, um, this year more had... 17 goals in 23 games, but he, he kicks 17, 19. So, you know, if he cleans that goal kicking up a little bit more, and I think maybe there's the difference that you talked about Daz is the year before he seemed to be a lot more accurate. Um, but yeah, he, he would have had a, a far bit or would have felt like a far more uh, important and bigger um contribution had he have kicked a little bit sort of more accurately and and just to give you some um uh some context last year he kicked 26 goals 14 so he he kicked far better at goal last year than he did this year um but he did have 15 goal assists as well this year so that was up from the year before at 14 and um he had 138 score involvements uh that was up again from last year so you know i think that sort of indicative of he was he was finding the footy maybe not as close to goal as previous years but a lot more sort of higher up on the wings through the midfield and he was involved in a lot of the good stuff that we did so um you know for more uh not not only do we want to see maybe 
a step forward in his leadership by just sort of enjoying that leadership and not sort of letting it consume him or take over, you know, his thought processes or anything like that. But um, just to settle into that role next year with another preseason under his belt and, uh, and enjoy being what he is, which is the beating heart of this Hawthorne football side. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, like, it's interesting to think about Dylan Moore's role because it's it's um, many roles and he's often the Mr. Fix-It for, for Sammy in the same way that Will Day is, you know, he, he will get behind the ball when, when that's necessary. He'll play on the wing. He'll play, you know, half forward. He'll play closer to goal. I think last year um, maybe played closer to goal than he did this year. I think he was adding some more strings to his bow and maybe – that didn't pass the eye test for a lot of us, or we didn't notice him as much. But when you do go to the ground and you do watch how hard he works, he's he's definitely one of the most industrious players that we have, um, and can do do a variety of roles. Um, you know, aggressive defensively. You know, I think his last game of the year was terrific, probably one of his best, and he had a ridiculous amount of pressure acts. I think something in the high twenties. So. Um, just such a hard work worker. I don't know if he's going to tackle the preseason with the same amount of intensity as he would any other. And um, yeah, it, it, it's it's wonderful to watch him flourish as a leader of this club and, and, and one of the key figures there. Finishing up the podcast, um, your thoughts on what we want to see from him in 2024. Is it to go back to being sort of a primarily a small forward and kicking more goals? Do we want to see, you know, 25, 30 goals a season from Dylan Moore? Do we want to see sort of 25 plus disposals a week? What are your sort of expectations for him for, for 2024? Yeah, I, I want to actually see him hit the scoreboard more. Um, yeah. I really do want to see him try and get up to that 30 mark. Luke Bruce is not going to be there forever. We're not going to be able to rely on Luke Bruce kicking 40 plus goals every single year for the next half decade. So someone's got to fill that gap. And we I know he loves a goal. He loves a goal. He's got all the tools. He's He's got a lot of tricks in his bag. Um, you know, he, and, and, and especially with Brocky seemingly going off, we've got to, someone's got to be kicking goals as a small forward in this team. And yeah, um, I wonder if he's his role next year is going to be a bit more closer to goal, being that damaging small forward that that he maybe was in twenty twenty two, rather than the sort of Mister Fix It play everywhere that he was this year. Spot on, Daz. I think that's the the biggest thing for me too. If he can get his goals up from you know what he what he bagged this year at seventeen in in twenty three games, which is probably not quite enough if we're being honest to get it sort of double that and get it to 35, 30, 35. We will be talking about him as an all Australian player next year, for sure, because of everything else that he brings in the way he plays his game. If he could kick 30 to 35 goals and he'd average 20 disposals game and all of those pressure acts, like you talked about, that is an elite small forward. And I don't care who you are judging. That is the, that is the sort of output we'd be looking for, for him from Dylan Moore. And I think that's probably the way that he takes his leadership to the next level is just showing it and just delivering uh, on, on the big stage. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Hawks Insiders 
postseason player review podcast. Thank you so much to everybody for listening this far. Thank you to Darren Levine for your insights and contributions as always. Um, if you are not yet a subscriber to the Hawks Insiders on Substack, $5 a month, $50 for the year. Uh, we will have plenty of these uh, podcasts in the pipeline. We have plenty of content coming uh, between now and the end of the year. Uh, the season might be finished for the Hawks, but the off season is massive. We know how much you guys love your trade and draft uh, content, and we will be working hard to provide you with the best of it. So um, stick with us, uh, sign up, subscribe if you haven't yet. We appreciate your support, and we will see you at the next one. Bye for now. Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall football footy club coverage.